Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and fellow video essayist Tom Vanderlinden from Like Stories of Old, that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. This week, we're talking about the 2021 film Eternals, directed by Chloe Zhao. Tom, why were you interested in discussing the Eternals? I've seen it twice now, and although I generally like the film. I think it's an interesting change of pace from the usual Marvel films, uh, although it does kind of fall into the same tropes towards the end with the heavy reliance on CGI and fist fighting as a way to resolve thematic issues. But at the same time, it does bring up some interesting existential questions, especially, and some rather complex moral dilemmas, but it also it presents them in such metaphors that it also stumbles in a way in at least in an interesting way it's it's i think it reveals something interesting about the use of metaphor and the way you can talk or not talk about certain existential questions in a in an effective way and so yeah it's not a it's not a perfect film it's i think it's definitely a very flawed film but it's flawed for me in an in, in an interesting way that interestingly enough so for us to talk about it today yeah i think it's trying for something in a way that some of these films maybe aren't and it's maybe not quite getting there but in trying it's doing something interesting and mm-hmm. uh, like you said it's fascinating to explore sometimes how metaphor can be present, but then ultimately still fail to kind of cohere into something Mm -hmm. meaningful. I was very interested to see how, I think we both enjoyed Nomadland to some extent. I don't remember Mm. your thoughts on it, but I... Yeah. Similarly, I guess I would say, without getting too much into that film, because that's not what we're talking about today, but similarly, I would say I found that film flawed, but interesting. Yeah. And I think that carries over into this film where like the ideas that Chloe Zhao wants to explore with her filmmaking are fascinating. I think she's getting at some potentially interesting things and she's very influenced by a filmmaker that we both enjoy the work of, Terrence Malick. And so there's motions towards something that I think is very compelling, but sometimes it it doesn't quite cohere. So we'll get into that, I think. Mm -hmm. But perhaps it would be helpful for the audience, if you haven't seen the film, maybe it'll be helpful for me because I've only seen it once. Tom has watched it, you said twice so far, yeah. to kind of give a little bit of an overview of like what is going on in the Eternals, and then we can get into uh, discussing the symbolic metaphors more deeply. Yeah. So Eternals, it brings to Marvel a revised history of humanity and also a new vision of at least I think it's largely new, uh, a new vision of how the the universe as a whole came into being and how it stays that way, basically. So we get some text in the beginning that explains how the universe is created by these beings called celestials, which are basically like these godlike uh, beings. They're enormous, like larger than most planets, almost at least larger than the planet Earth. They have created the Eternals, which are these immortal warriors, almost. Actually, not all of them are warriors. We'll get into that. They they have a variety of skill sets, but the point is that they are these immortal beings who are sent to planets to protect the 
sentient life and the intelligent life from the deviants, which are these, at first they are described as these evil creatures from deep space that function as a sort of apex predator. They talk about that at some point. At least they are creatures that prey on innocent lives and the Eternals are there to preserve them or to protect them from it. Yeah, I think we can jump right into spoilers, right? Because at uh, a little further into into the story, it's revealed that the deviants were actually also created by the celestials, but they had a flaw in their design. They were meant to prey only on unintelligent life, and then so that the intelligent life can grow. But they started killing everything, so they had to create the Eternals to also kill the deviants. And the reason they need intelligent life is because it's actually how celestials are created. Right. So celestials, they plant seeds into planets and then intelligent life evolves on those planets. And somehow the celestial that's inside the planet feeds on it, it grows and then kills the planet. And then the celestial becomes one of the godlike beings who then messes around with gravity and heat to create new planets and create even more life. And so the cycle continues. And in a way, it kind of reminded me of Terence Malick, in, especially in his documentary uh, Voyage of Time, which you also see some fragments of in The Tree of Life. Mm -hmm. But he also invoked this idea of uh, cycles of creation and destruction in on the right. cosmic scale. But in there, it was more of a way to humble humanity into a certain place. Like we are only this small blip into this giant, impossible to imagine process. And yeah. in Eternals, it's it, in a weirdly anthropomorphized. The entirety of the cosmos is reduced to these sentient human, yeah, almost human-like beings. They don't look exactly human, but they can communicate with the Eternals who do look, look like humans. And humanity is is necessary literally for like the birth of gods. So like mm -hmm. the humans are both reduced to this sort of like energy source and elevated to like the thing that is necessary for creation to continue progressing. Yeah. And so at one point there's this, obviously when the Eternals find out, because apparently they Every time they are sent to a planet and then and Celestial is born and the planet is destroyed, their memory is erased. So they go to a new planet, completely blank. And somehow on Earth, things go differently than the way it happened millions of years yeah. uh, up until that point. Because, you know, they find out about their true purpose and the true nature of the cosmos and the plan of this uh, one Celestial that they are in contact with. And they raise the moral question like, how fair is it to the present day humans that they are all going to be killed for potential future planets and future civilizations? The crux of the conflict kind of rests in, you described how humanity is being sort of grown in order to fuel the birthing of a god that will then create further things. And the Eternal's purpose is to protect humanity as it grows towards this eventual sort of cataclysmic destruction that is the birthing of a new god. But the Eternals are basically unaware of that process. Like they believe that they are there for more immediately humanistic reasons mm -hmm. of just like protecting intelligent life from the deviants. Like that's the extent to which they understand their purpose until they find out, they discover that it's this actually broader goal 
of protecting humanity so that it can eventually be sort of consumed for the birthing of a god. And so that tension kind of becomes the core conflict yeah. once that's revealed. Yeah, but I thought it would be interesting before we get into the main moral issue and the main thematic element to just talk a little bit about the what I found really interesting was the way these Eternals are depicted as characters, the way it depicts basically immortal beings and makes them relatable to the audience, Yeah, which also kind of in some way contradicts how we in turn like experience their immortality. Like what does it say about immortality uh, to have these Eternals be the way that they are? Because for me, at least I found that a lot of them, um, they kind of behave exactly as they appear. So you have one like childlike Eternal who kind of behaves as a child and there's one more of a edgy, like slightly older teenager. And then there's the, the Superman type. And he is, the point is they basically act the way you would expect them to if they were just mortal beings at that exact age and yeah. that exact character. But more interestingly for me was, it made me think of the author Ernest Becker, which I've talked about in some videos, who was this psychoanalysis and anthropologist who wrote about how the basic psychology of humanity is basically driven by our perception of mortality and the way we have a mind that basically transcends time and space, whereas our bodies do not. They are bound to a physical location and they will decay and die. And so we, with this awareness of death at some point coming, there's this subconscious death escaping behavior. Right. The title of his most famous book is literally The Denial of Death, because it talks about how one of the most elemental driving forces of pretty much everything that we do is this drive to symbolically transcend death, either through love or art or mm. heroism or some other form of uh, some way to make ourselves symbolically immortal. But then in the Eternals, when you have beings who are literally immortal, that they should have a psychology that is not as relatable to ours as that is basically not relatable to ours. But yeah. at the same time, you do want a story that has relatable characters. So there right. for me was like an immediate conflict of like, what is it that you're trying to communicate and how effectively can you do so while maintaining that connection to the audience? Yeah, I'm not sure if you had any thoughts on that or... No, I thought about that and and it speaks to, I think, one of the issues with the film, which we, we might come back to, which is that it's dealing with a lot of interesting concepts, but then I don't think quite goes deeply enough into any of them to make it super interesting or to fully flesh out like the possibilities of that concept. And this is this is probably the biggest one where immediately you're like, oh, it's it, this is a fascinating you could make a movie out of this and people have on its own, just this idea of like, how can immortal characters like integrate into a society of mortals? And what, mm -hmm. like you said, what would those psychological differences be? And, you know, how does that conflict? And they, they in this film, they kind of just hand wave it away. It's, it, it's not really an issue that they deal with in, I think, any meaningful way. There, it, it's kind of tossed off as like a one-off joke of like, mm -hmm you know, oh, this person's been, he's been a movie star for generations, you know, and he just mm -hmm. 
claims like, oh, he's just part of a lineage, like his grandfather has been starring in movies. And they throw out, it's there, it's present. There's one character where they're a child, and so they're not really, they appear as a child, but they're not really able to live in the world as an adult. And they're stuck immortally in this position of childhood. And that causes, even though mentally they're not really a child, or so they so they say kind of in the film, although they appear childish in the film. So it's, it's a little confusing. Mm-hmm. And that is a point of conflict for that character that they can, it's sort of insinuated like they're not able to love or live in the world in an adult way because they appear as a child. Um, so there's something that's withheld from them. So th- there's a point of conflict there. And I think it kind of engages with that idea in a superficial way, but it does sort of just want you to accept that, you know, an immortal being, their psychology is basically they're just humans and living forever hasn't really impacted the way they think. They basically still operate as humans, but the only difference is they've just been around for an incredibly like long period of time. Thousands of years, literally. Yeah. I think it kind of, it engages with that on a very superficial level. Yeah, I wanted to bring it up first because they are the characters that you connect to as the audience and they are the sort of gateway into the larger thematic issues. But when they themselves are already a point of conflict, that also makes the other issues that the film wants to explore a bit more problematic, at least for me. Yeah. Like for one thing also is that with the characters, you don't really feel the weight of time Like they refer to, like they seem to live in the present. They have human friends and mm-hmm. even later on, one has even has a family, but at the same time, they will casually remark to one another, like, oh, remember Babylon like 3000 years ago? Right, right. Yeah. And at one point they also refer to moving every five years, which over the course of millennia, that's, that's like hundreds of different lifetimes that they've led like how does that impact like how does that create any meaningful attachment for them to anything in that's temporally specific like in specific life that they connect to or a specific uh, set of human beings yeah that's that for me was pretty difficult for me to connect with and i guess that also made it more difficult for me to connect to the larger thematic uh, issues that it wanted to explore i should say i don't want to take us down a tangent but if people are interested in a film that explores just that question mm-hmm. in a very insular way. The Man from Earth, is that one you're referring to? The Man from Earth does that. I haven't seen that. So The Man from Earth, that's also an interesting film, which... D- does The Man from Earth explore that, that question? Yeah, it's a very low budget. It's not all too well produced, but it's this. it takes place in a single room where a teacher goes on a pension or something, or at least leaves the school and he's uh, hanging out with his uh, soon-to-be former colleagues and he reveals to them that he's been living for 10,000 years. And the rest of the film is basically exploring, like, how the hell have you stayed alive for so long? Like, what did it mean? Like, how did your consciousness evolve? And what does it do for your memories? And it goes a bit, like, too extreme towards the end, um, but mm-hmm. by making some very grand suggestions about the importance of that character but yeah it's it's a fun uh, thought experiment uh, to dive into i was going to mention jim jarmusch's only lovers left alive which is about two vampires oh yeah who have been living for thousands of years and it's also it's a little light-hearted kind of in how it, you know and playful and how it explores the topic but it presents a very interesting portrayal of how like you know, these characters have done everything and, and been everywhere. And so they just sort of mm-hmm. 
are at the stage where they just languish in this like malaise of like they've seen it all and done it all. So there there are yep. movies out there. If somebody's interested in a movie that explores that question more specifically, there are movies out there that do it. But yeah. sadly, Eternals is, is not one of them. <laughs> but I don't know if you could really explore that question in like an interesting way, like have all these characters with like a psychology that is really divergent from mm -hmm. human psychology and still create, have the necessary framework for, like you yeah. mentioned, like a Marvel movie with a bunch of characters that we want to relate to kind of as humans. Mm -hmm. And then have to fight at the end. Yeah, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> So it might be an impossible challenge to overcome. Mm -hmm. That issue kind of sets the stage. Where do you want to go from there in terms of other ideas that the film explores? There's a lot of issues that are happening sort of simultaneously. I'm not sure where, what the best point of entry is. But for me, one thing that got my interest was in the, the way that the birth of a celestial being in our planet, it kind of signifies our eventual fate. Like we know, like as humans, like the universe is we're not going to be around forever. Like in a right. few mil billions of years, the earth is going to be destroyed or our sun is going to die or explode. I'm not sure what exactly, but there's an eventual fate to our being that this movie makes extremely urgent. Like in the at the present day point of the movie, the emergence of this new celestial is seven days away. So there's suddenly like this eventual and distant fate becomes immediate and urgent yeah which in itself is kind of weird thematically like it takes a piece of factual knowledge that i think we all have and all are sort of okay with i guess like it's it, it's too far into the future to even comprehend as it's mm -hmm. not a part of our actual lived-in experience. And now right. suddenly this movie does force it into our immediate experience, which also makes it where it becomes a moral question. Like suddenly it's like, is this okay? Which isn't really a question that I think applies to the universe in its entirety. You can't really translate it back. Right. There's some conflicting things going around and wasn't sure how to make sense of it exactly, but... It's also different in the sense that we kind of know in the film that like this, the destruction of the, the earth now mm -hmm. will result in the birthing of more life, which doesn't mm -hmm. exactly justify. I mean, that's part of the conflict is the Eternals are like, well, that doesn't justify destroying earth. And that was one of the most interesting parts of the movie to me was the fact that they portray some of the Eternals as just like taking it on faith. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're like, well, I'm just going to trust that this celestial kind of know what's best and that it is better to like continue the cycle of death and rebirth. But like when we're thinking about the fact that eventually our material reality mm -hmm. will be destroyed in some manner, you know, we don't have this assurance that like that's in pursuit of some further life. So it, it muddies the metaphorical waters yeah. there as well. Yeah. I think the issue is that they are two separate issues that you relate to. And I think you should relate to in separate ways. Like when you 
contemplate the vastness of the universe and our eventual fate. I think that's more of a, uh, which you also see in like Terrence Malick's films, for example, that's like a humbling effort. Like it's not meant to be yeah. resolved. It's meant to be, we can maybe direct our attitude towards it, but we don't moralize the universe in itself. And in this way, it by sort of muddling it together, it becomes... To me, it felt like a very abstract version of the the trolley problem. Like you can go <laughs> yeah. in one direction or, or do we go in the other way and do we kill the planets or the yeah. human beings on this track or the future ones on the other one? Yeah, I do like, as you said, that there's some characters that have one opinion about it and others that have another. So some want to preserve Earth and others want to sacrifice it for the potential of future planets and future life. Yeah. But I think the issue is that when you, it takes a moral dilemma and it makes it abstract to the point where there's not really a meaningful answer. Like you can't really, that that's the reason there's no answer to the trolley problem is because it's, right. it's, it's a stupid premise, basically. <laughs> As right. You cannot separate such moral complexities from any real world situation and i think like a film like the dark knight does that really well it takes these uh, moral dilemmas and it, it it grounds them into a reality like the joker is continuously threatening batman who also he has this moral code and then the joker comes in and like he, he completely tears it apart like he, he suggests like reveal your identity or i blow up a hospital or the end scene with the boat like there's a boat with prisoners there's a boat with innocent citizens they can blow each other up or i blow them up both of them if one of them doesn't choose like those are tangible problems with like tangible stakes and here it's just do we go for do we save all of humanity or do we save all of the other potential humanities or whatever it becomes really hard to for both sides of the arguments like both of the characters that want to preserve earth and those who want to sacrifice it there's really not anything to latch onto to make any real right. arguments in favor for or in favor or against it yeah i think this is getting into to new territory but i think it kind of relates similarly there's a confused element of like how human and technological progress is treated so it's like the humans progress and the Eternals are like helping them progress. They're at times like literally mm -hmm. inventing technology and kind of handing that over to to humanity yeah. to help them grow and populate the earth. And they're also not supposed to interfere with wars. At first they think because, you know, it's I think it's presented as like they're not supposed to do that because it essentially squelches human like moral development like they need to be able to resolve conflict on their own mm -hmm. so that they can you know develop consciously towards something yeah. better but then in a twist we find out that actually they're not supposed to prevent war because war equals technological progress and technological progress equals growth of civilization and the goal is to get as many humans as possible because consciousness is like this battery for you know the birthing of a god so there's this weird relationship with like human and technological progress where it's almost treated as like it's a bad thing kinda but i don't feel like it ever engages with that in a way or there's no resolution to that there's no what is the alternative mm -hmm. so the the eternals are stuck in this weird place where they're very humanistic in the sense in in a sense that's at least some of them are choosing like we're going to save humanity's mm -hmm 
on earth. We're going to save their lives now and sacrifice the birthing of this God. Mm -hmm. But then also humanity has sort of been, I don't know. Do you, do you have thoughts on how this is, how this is treated? There was many times where I felt like it was about to go somewhere or make some kind of interesting comment on this. And then it just kind of dissolved into nothing. Yeah. One thing that I had written down in my notes, it's that it plays into like this old trope of like ancient civilization is actually aided by alien creatures, which right. I'm not sure if you even call it racism, but more like it's more like a, a disrespect or like an insult to the intelligence of our ancestors, because, you know, it basically takes away the agency or the intelligence or the creativity of those ancient peoples and just tells them, oh, they actually didn't invent anything. It was just handed to them. Yeah. And it's even like simple stuff. Like at one point, the, they, at first they hand her like one child a dagger, even though they already have spears. And then later it, he mentions that they're not ready for the steam engine yet. So he gives them a plow instead. Like, okay, I'm, right. yeah. I'm pretty sure like even, even some primates have figured that one out. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, later it's Fastos, I think is his name, the technological one. Okay, first there's this weird scene with him being feeling responsible for the nuclear bomb at Hiroshima, which I felt was a bit tonally like strange. <laughs> like I feel like that's that that's dangerous ground to go on if you're not gonna explore it in any meaningful way. Like that's right. That's yeah. like real human tragedy. And then to sort of use it for this fictional hero sadness thing it's <laughs> it's a bit strange but at one point he figures out what that true purpose is and then he says I, I wrote it down it all makes sense why she wouldn't let us interfere with human conflicts conflicts lead to war and war actually leads to advancement in life-saving technology and medicine i'm not sure like what truth there is to this i did look up the invention of penicillin the the antibacterial Mm -hmm. which was popularized by the Second World War, but was actually invented completely unrelated to conflict a couple decades before. So that's not, right. is that really like a, a sensible statement? And even then he was the, also the one who was supposedly guiding humanity with technologies. So I'm not sure like why would they need inventiveness if they, or creativity, if they can just grow like smart enough to, uh, to just hand them out like little bits and pieces of technology as they go along, especially when they have the, uh, the other one, the, the one who can control minds and who is, I think he has the one, he's the one with the most interesting conflict because he does actually have the power, like the fastest can give technology and that technology can be used for violent purposes but the other one he can just control the whole whole world's minds and basically let them not do violence not yeah. have them have conflict yeah he says at one point i thought about taking over the minds of every human on this planet violence fear greed all gone and then the other some other character asks like why didn't you and then he eventually says because without their flaws they wouldn't be human and it's again one of those as you said before it touches on many different elements but not doesn't go too deeply into any of them because that's more of a conflict of free will and just basic human agency uh, like can there be virtue or goodness without the possibility to do bad or evil right yeah but again that's it's not really a question that's resolved towards the end but for me the, i think the most conflicting character when it comes to all this is the leader ajak who's as we learn later, is the one who has all her memories, unlike all the one other ones. So she has 
this memory of millions of years of going to planets, raising populations, destroying them, and then moving on to the next. But now suddenly she's on our human planet and something changes. And the explanation she gives is, I traveled the world living among them. I've seen them fight and lie and kill, but I've also seen them laugh and love. I've seen them create and dream. This planet and these people have changed me. The cast of Arishams, Arishams is the celestial. Uh, Arishams design, it's not worth it. Not this time. Yeah. I think that's basically also the issue that I brought up earlier about when you have too abstract of a moral issue, then you cannot really, there's no real answer to that. That's going to sound profound. When the stake is just, the stakes are just like all of humanity or all of the future humanities. I guess it's a sort of utilitarian. It's like, should we value life numerically or should we value like the life that is present to us right now? Yeah. And if the movie's saying something, I guess its position is kind of the, the Eternals are like, no, we're going to value what's present to us right now. I don't think it asserts that in a way that actually makes an argument for it. It's just kind of like, this is what they chose. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's the route they take. Yeah. I don't feel like I understood why they felt like that was so much more important than, you know, the the lives of future generations. Yeah. The Eternal that we're, I think we're supposed to empathize most with, Cersei, uh, she's kind of the main character, I think. She says, like, every time innocent lives have been sacrificed for the greater good, it turns out to be a mistake. And I think that's a pretty easy moral direction for people to latch onto. Like, yeah, you. it's easy to present the utilitarian answer as the rational one, but it's also easy to portray it as the cold and calculative one that has no concern for what's right in front of you and no real concern for like what for the, the meaningfulness of the attachments you have to what you already have. And so I think it's easy for people, especially when they latch on to certain characters or like characters in the film, that they would not agree with sacrificing them for some abstract greater good. And right. yeah. I guess that's what the film is going for. Like they want to turn it into a question like, do the means uh, justify the end? Which again, going back all the way to the, the celestial thing is that that's not really what questions of humanity's place in the cosmos are really about. Like it takes this, an existential question and it turns it into a moral dilemma. Yeah. I'm not sure it's, it's really resolved at the end beyond the initial thing or the initial answer of no, the means do not justify the end. Yeah. I'm thinking about the way it, it relates to an issue that's, you know, front of mind for a lot of people, which is climate change, which is kind of the inverse mm -hmm. of the equation in a very practical sense where it's like to help with that problem, we need to make, we don't need to sacrifice lives currently necessarily, but we need to make sacrifices in terms of lifestyle now in order to help the well-being of some, you know, future generations, you know, that are sort of beyond us. Yeah. And this movie is kind of even flipping that on its head where it's like, no, no, the thing that is most <laughs> valuable is current human life. And, you know, the people in the future don't really matter. But the thing is, I think if I'm personally in the situation of the Eternals, I kind of intuitively are on their side. I'm like blowing up Earth doesn't seem like a good idea, even if mm -hmm. theoretically it produces some life in the future. So intuitively, I kind of 
find myself siding with them. And I think most people probably feel similarly, which is why they don't have to really justify their position that much within the film. Mm -hmm. Because it just kind of is an immoral intuition we have, like kill all earth bad. Yeah, yeah. But that's where this this metaphor is very muddy. It's, it's a moral dilemma that's so like abstract and improbable that it's not really useful in terms of like exploring anything meaningful about how we relate to the world mm -hmm. ethically or, or morally. Because none of us are actually standing there with a switch that's like save future, destroy present. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of a similar idea to what Nolan's exploring in Tenet where it's like, you know, the future might be saved or the present. As flawed as that movie is, I think it it explores that one idea in a way that is a little bit more, I don't know, at least grapples with the complexity of that question in, in a more yep. interesting way. Part of the issue here, I think, is that there's just so much thrown out that doesn't ever really fully get investigated. Like there's also this idea of the deviants kind of like begin to absorb powers from the Eternals mm -hmm. and then they become sort of more sentient or at least conscious and then they they gain their own sort of mm -hmm. morality kind of but then it's it, it's never really resolved it's just like oh that's happened there's one main deviant who which is somehow special from the others who as you said he does uh, absorbs like some of the eternals that he kills along the way and becomes sentient and then he or at least sentient enough to voice his own desire for survival like he's yeah. He sees his own species as just as worthy to be alive on that planet, I guess, as everyone else. And if it even is a character at that point, he becomes sort of an afterthought. Yeah. Like I, actually had, I actually had an accidental moment of laughter when at the end they're <laughs> at the beach and then they're fighting each other, the Eternals, and they are there's the conflict with Icarus, the, the Superman character, and then... Suddenly, the the deviant he sort of strolls down the beach out of he comes out of the ocean and um, <laughs> I had completely forgotten that thing was even in the movie and then yeah. I'm like oh yeah he he just felt he, <laughs> he felt like desperate to be in the in in the finale but even though there wasn't really much to resolve from yeah his end like I get that he wants he gains consciousness and also wants some agency or some survival but. Yeah, it, there's no, the film doesn't give you any reason to care about the deviants. Yeah, there's no moment that makes you sympathize with them for being anything other than just predators made to be predators. Yeah. They don't seem to have like ties with each other or like families or like they all seem just like random individuals. But I thought it was a m weird move to include them as more than just faceless enemies. Mm -hmm. I think it's a film that would have benefited from simplifying a little bit in terms of how many different ideas it was trying to explore and then exploring the ones it chose a little bit more thoroughly or yeah. or thoughtfully. It also reflected weirdly back on the Celestial, or at least the main Celestial, who has said he created the Deviants, but also created them like in a flawed way. So apparently this godlike being is not perfect. So he has to right. fix his own mistakes and then he creates the Eternals, but they also aren't perfect. Like for one, I, th I didn't understand why he could not have made them a little bit stronger, like at least maybe give all of them flight. 
I did like, like for, from a storytelling perspective, it, it's kind of fun to have each one have their own skill to contribute to the group and that they are stronger together. But still, it, it kind of felt like a video game where you have only so many points to put into a character. And so like one gets all strength, the other gets all intelligence right. and the other. But it didn't seem like there was a reason that the Celestial was like short on resources or, or just it all felt so convoluted. Like the whole yeah. premise of the story is... It's just such a muddled mess that everything that comes after it is also hard to <laughs> connect with. Yeah, it's a very confused, like kind of humanist story in that it's like there's this God that's created everything. But then he's in, like you said, imperfect or they are the celestials are imperfect. So there's these lower beings and those lower beings are sort of helping humanity along even though humanity is very flawed, like the Eternals could be like, we could prevent war, but mm -hmm. we won't. So there's flaws to humanity, but there's also good sides. And they end up kind of teaching the Celestials like love and beauty and these things, like you said, that humanity is what convinces Ajax to sort of break the cycle, but humanity can't save itself. So there's a sense in which it's like the Eternals must reject the God, the like higher, more powerful eternal being, and they do so in order to save humanity but humanity can't save itself. It still does need like some kind of higher eternal being, mm -hmm. but just not the highest one. <laughs> it, and it's just this weird, like <laughs> it ends up being <laughs> confused. There's uh, a lot of directions it could go. It's one of those films where if you think about it too much, your head just starts spinning and hurting. <laughs> it doesn't start to make more sense. Yeah. You can kind of sit there and like watch it and take it in mm -hmm. and be like, okay, that's interesting, yes. But then the more you digest what it's trying to say, the more confusing I think it gets and the less coherent the ideas become. Which is not to say that I don't think not every superhero film needs these like cosmic moral metaphors. Mm -hmm. Although I think that kind of stuff makes movies interesting. I think that's part of why yeah. I enjoy movies that explore interesting deep ideas. But not every movie needs that. Some can just have to be or some are fine just being like a fun, you know, mm -hmm. hey, save the world type of thing. But this is a movie that alludes towards being much more than that. It, it alludes towards all these like grand cosmic or philosophical ideas. Yep. And then that's all it does is allude towards. I'm not sure if it's supposed to set up a sequel. I'm, I'm not familiar with any of the source materials, but I thought the ending was also pretty weird where the celestial, um, after they prevent the celestial from being born and save humanity, the original celestial comes down and he takes them up into space, the Eternals, and then he's like, well, you chose this way. I'm going to come back later and I'm going to look at your memories and I'm going to judge if humanity is worth saving as you yeah. argue by having done this act. Right. Some other Eternals go out into space to search for other Eternals and deliver them the message or set them free, I guess. So I'm not sure if that's gonna, if that's supposed to be a follow-up to this or if it's just like loosely leave it open-ended in case they ever want to do something else. But even at the end, that, that for me, it just emphasized that the film didn't really have like a concrete answer to its own thematic issues like it right it, it's only like half resolved like oh you you did this but was it the right choice i guess we'll see and yeah yeah it doesn't really commit to to a strong like statement there's not a real like it's not even cheesy enough i think to be 
just this humanity is great and right. sure we hurt each other but we also love each other and you know they, they could have gone like a, the cheesy route and maybe it would have worked based on sheer sentimentality but even that is kind of restrained mm -hmm. uh, it's just a couple of lines of dialogues you, you don't really see like there's no real show don't tell when it comes to showing the goodness of humanity like humanity's barely a factor into in in the story at all yeah for a movie that in which humanity plays such a vital role there's very few mm -hmm. actually human characters in the film and the relationships between the eternals and the humans don't really enter into the story that much mm -hmm. yeah so yeah that's again connecting it to the dark knight i liked in the climax of that film, Batman doesn't really make a decision. He, in the end, he has to make an act of faith based on, like, will the humans in the, right. the ferry boats, will they do the right thing? Like, will they not blow up each other or, or blow the other one up for to save themselves? Like, do they have faith in humanity? And they actually demonstrate that to Batman and to the Joker, which yeah. resolves the thematic question of that film. But in The Eternals, that's not really a thing that happens right the humans are completely absent from the climax it's on this deserted or seemingly deserted island for, for, uh, where they have their final confrontation but it th there's no way like humanity doesn't really demonstrate any of the elements that are relevant to this whole discussion yeah as you mentioned the god comes and is like you know we'll judge humanity mm -hmm. and see if they were worth saving but i'm not even clear on like what is it that humanity may or may not achieve in the future that would justify mm -hmm. or disqualify them from? If they continue to just destroy each other with war, then that's bad, although maybe mm -hmm. war is necessary from the viewpoint of the Celestials. What is it that humanity is going to be judged by in the future? Yeah, like what do we have to prove? Yeah, because, you know, from the Celestials' perspective, it's kind of presented as like humanity is mostly useful as a tool for them to sort of you know, harvest and regenerate, mm -hmm. like continuing life. So what are we to do? <laughs> I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> you know, I liked that Chloe Zhao was doing some interesting things visually and formally with the movie that I had never seen from mm -hmm. a Marvel film. There's like towards the climax, there's this sort of like visual montage of memories at one point, And there's some cool mm -hmm. Terrence Malicky kind of shots and some nice looking stuff. But uh, unfortunately, I think most of what she brought to the table in this was like some visual innovation. And even then that kind of fell away mm -hmm. in the moments where obviously the like CGI comes to the forefront and it's just more, you know, super powerful people yeah. bowling each other into <laughs> stone walls and not getting hurt and yeah that's that's the kind of action that i like the least where you have super powered beings that do not make it obvious like what hurts and what doesn't hurt like yes yeah. does the laser eyes like does it burn through skin or do we just like at some point does it just push people back or right <laughs> yeah it's yeah the logic of superhero battles is often seemingly arbitrary and uh mm -hmm. It just kind of seems like there's things only hurt at the point in which the conflict needs to climax and mm -hmm. resolve. And that's when a that's when a blow or laser eyes cause damage. Not before. <laughs> Not before. <laughs> so are there are there any significant takeaways here or 
anything you want to close on or, or talk about that we haven't that we haven't mentioned yet for me this movie was mostly a lesson in like how do you use a metaphor and to what extent does it not muddy the issue that you actually want to talk about also like if you have a moral dilemma like explore it in tangible terms like don't leave it hanging in abstraction yeah that's one of the things that i think is really important yeah i think that's to distill it in like two sentences that covers it pretty well yeah i think for me the movie itself is not that bad unintentionally it's not that bad of a portrait of the way culture kind of engages with a lot of these ideas currently where there's just a bunch of ideas and there's not a lot of follow-through in terms of like let's explore what this philosophical standpoint what the conclusion of that is or what the tangible moral dilemmas are or, or what ethically should we do in these situations i think culturally we're in a place where like the celestials modernity is sort of leaving the gods behind and being like we don't need that anymore mm -hmm. and embracing this humanism but culturally everything is kind of stuck in this confused in-between state where it, do it doesn't really understand how to make you know moral judgments or or how to think things through and so it just latches on to a bunch of different ideas simultaneously so yeah symptomatically you know the film maybe isn't that bad of a representation of a certain way that i think culture is engaging with some of these ideas or like failing to engage with some of these ideas mm -hmm. i wouldn't say this film wasn't entertaining it doesn't make it a meaningful deep thoughtful or like profound film yeah yeah it's fun but not really insightful or not as insightful as it appears to be maybe yeah yeah thank you for listening to cinema of meaning if you enjoyed our discussion, feel free to listen to our other episodes or check out our video essay channels. That's Thomas Flight and Like Stories of Old, all of which are available right here on Nebula. And we'll see you again next time.